Welcome to the Real Estate Way to Wealth and Freedom podcast with Jacob Ayers, providing actionable content to help you along your journey to financial freedom through real estate investing. As the premier asset class, real estate has helped ordinary people just like you amass fortunes. The benefits of passive income from real estate investing will allow you to live a life you want. And now your host, entrepreneur, real estate investor, and apartment deal syndicator, Jacob Ayers. Hi, and welcome to the Real Estate Way to Wealth and Freedom podcast, episode 268. Hi, I'm your host, Jacob Ayers. Welcome back to another great episode I hope you had a fantastic Thanksgiving, got to spend time with friends, family, eat a ton of great food, and now we're back and ready to start out another week, ready to finish this year strong, so that's what we're going to do today. Today's guest is Sarah Jung. I've known Sarah for quite a while now. Sarah has been a leader in real estate finance for over 17 years, where she started her career as a mortgage originator and in 2018 was named in the top 1% of mortgage originators in the country, being recognized as the top preferred mortgage lender for new home builders. Her expertise in real estate finance includes underwriting, loan and deal structuring, new construction, renovation programs, affordable housing programs, and multifamily financing. Today, Sarah and I talk about how you can qualify for loans from an investor's perspective, and then what mortgage lenders are looking for from the applicant just like you, leveraging all those years of experience with Sarah's background. And then we shift gears and talk about how Sarah has transitioned from her old side of the desk to the new one as an active real estate investor, where she is out actively investing in multifamily properties across the country. So really exciting conversation today. Let's go ahead and jump right into it. All right, today I welcome on the show my good friend, Sarah Jung. Sarah, hey, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you, thanks for having me. It's our pleasure. Well, Sarah, you and I know each other through our mutual mastermind group with our buddy, our pal, our friend, mentor, coach, the ever grateful, humble, Mr. Vinny Chopra. But before we dig into all that, can you kind of tell us a little bit about who you are, your background and your journey up to this point? Yeah. Uh, first of all, so Jacob, thank you so much for having me on. I feel really honored to be on as your guest. Yes. And when we both have our Vinny Chopra, who I just adore and just, I feel so honored to be part of his mastermind with you. So my background has, I would say about an 18 year journey into doing mortgage originations. So I'm originally from Wisconsin. I went to school there. I have a psychology degree. I actually originally wanted to do research and I actually worked with uh, primates. I worked for one of the universities that was known for attachment studies. And that was where I originally wanted to go in my life. And then I moved out to California and I discovered the whole technology world. And somebody had told me one day that'd be really good in sales. So I moved out to California right after college, uh, got a sales job in IT. And that was at the time I went to Silicon Valley and I think the dot-com was ending and the technology, all the IT stuff was starting to boom. And I went around and, and started selling IP telephony or basically IP telephone systems. And 
about a year into that, somebody approached me and said, hey, you're really good in sales. You know, you'd be really good at doing mortgages. And at that time, I was like, what's a mortgage? (laughs) (laughs) And I was like, well, I don't know if math's my thing, you know? And it's like, I like math, but wasn't, you know, and that's kind of, they're like, no, 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 you don't need, you know, all you have to do is you have to go out and talk to people and tell them about getting a loan for a house. And it's real easy. And this was at the time, this was in 2001, 2002. So this is what uh, kind of during a big refi boom and everybody was recruiting loan officers because the interest rates were dropping. And at that time, when I started, interest rates were in the sevens and they were dropping down into the sixes. So we had a lot of refi opportunity. So I went and started at a bank and the manager at that time said, hey, I'll teach you everything you need to know. And that's where I started. So I started a mortgage career and doing residential financing and uh, went through a couple different, was in banking. And then I went into mortgage banking. So went from Citibank, which was the, at that time is where I started and then went into mortgage banking. And I eventually ended up doing lending for a number of developers where I built up a number of relationships with local builders to be their in-house lending team for their buyers. So those are the ones that, you know, if you're going in buying a new house, we were the in-house lending arm for that developer. And I did that for a number of years and moved out to Sacramento. We lived in San Jose for a while, and then we moved out to Sacramento, and I just continued that on. And I took on some more developers at that time, and we uh, actually grew the business to about a 12-person team. And between 2017 and by 2018, I was named in the top 1% of mortgage originators in the country. And, and that, I was super honored. And, and that was really uh, kudos to the team that I had at the time. But a couple of years ago, what started happening was, so my husband and I, we actually started buying rental properties out of state. And okay. you know, being in California, yeah, it's very expensive here. Sure. So we were trying to figure out a way you know, because at some point now, this is probably about, you know, about 15 years into me doing finance, we started, you know, looking at ways to build passive income and, you know, not having to go to work and clock in every day. My husband actually worked in solar. And so we were, you know, looking for ways to build passive income and also have some tax shelter. So that was really our motivation. And, you know, kind of moving fast forward, this is how I got, you know, to where I am today. But at that time, it was really a how do we save, you know, reduce our taxable income? And then how can we get residual income while we're sleeping, basically? And, you know, rental properties is very natural for us because we're both in, you know, my husband's actually has his real estate license as well. And, you know, with me being in real estate finance, it was very natural. And so, you know, so over the years, I've, you know, done a lot of financing with lots of clients who have bought and sold rental properties, multifamilies over the years. And I thought, you know, this is a really great way to get some residual income. So we started buying rental properties out of state. We have properties in Wisconsin, Georgia, and North Carolina. And we bought all of them sight unseen, believe it or not. But again, we did that in a way where we had really good people on the ground to help vet it out, manage it. And we did actually, we have gone later now. We've looked at our properties and we visit them. And actually, those are going really well. So at some point I decided, you know, I was like, how can I scale this? So I set a goal. I said, well, if I want to make, you know, so much income, you know, you have to have so many properties under your belt, making so much, you know, with doing so much cash flow. And at one point, I think I determined that I needed 50 rental properties 
in order to reach my goal. And that, you know, brought up another challenge was, you know, capital or, or as far as funding for down payment. Sure. And so, yeah. yeah. So then that's when I did a lot of research and I discovered that you can syndicate and raise capital from other people. You're basically leveraging other people's money. And I thought, wow, what a great thing. I said, okay, so first you can leverage the financing, right? So being having a finance background, you can leverage the you know financing from a bank or a lending institution. And then you can leverage other people's money to, you know, ensure in the cash flows of that. So in order for me to scale and in order for me to kind of, you know, go into the direction that I really wanted to go, it just evolved the last couple of years, it evolved into this plan of uh, multifamily syndication and, you know, going from, you know, residential single family properties to uh, multifamily properties, you know, syndicating it, you know, between myself and other partners and our investors. But kind of going back to your question, you know, I guess the scalability of it and the wealth building part of it is what really attracted me to it. And so what I decided to do is this last year, I actually transitioned out my mortgage business. I took that business and transitioned it over to another team, you know, in order for me to really do this properly full time, I decided to make a complete career change. And now I'm doing this, not doing the mortgages anymore but now doing the real estate investing full-time. Yeah, Sarah, that's a really unique path. I must say, like, I've never heard of anybody transitioning from a degree in psychology, working with primates to long-term, later down the line, being an apartment syndicator. So lots of twists and turns in that road. But one point in your journey I'm really interested in is that career as a mortgage originator. So, you know, you were working on the other side of the desk at one point, originating mortgages, helping people qualify for loans for both residential and investment real estate. Tell us some of the lessons you learned there. And was there ever like maybe an aha moment where you really thought like, hey, why am I not on the other side of the desk borrowing debt, investing in rental properties? And why am I sitting on this side helping these people do that? Was there a <laughs> moment or anything you could speak to there? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So, you know, it's funny. So for so long, you know, when I got into mortgage, you know, my goal at that time was to really just originate, you know, do a loan and get paid. That, that was really, you know, the, kind of the goal at that time. And I was pretty young. I was, you know, again, almost straight up, just pretty much right after college. And as time went by, I really enjoyed the financing part of it. I discovered that I have a pretty analytical mind and I really liked being able to solve problems for people as far as, you know, getting something, offering them a financing package where they could purchase a home. And it was very personal for a lot of my clients, I mean, this is a very personal transaction for them. And, yeah. you know, there's a lot that goes into that. And it's one of the biggest decisions that they make in their lives. And so for a long time, I really liked the aspect of helping people reach their homeownership goals. And it was really, really great to see a lot of people once they went through the process, you know, having them be so happy the day of closing that they had a home to move into. It's just a wonderful feeling. I just, it was very fulfilling. And a lot of those clients that I've had for many years, and so I was able to develop a lot of really great relationships with those clients and actually help them even years later, they would decide to move up, you know, sell their home and then move up and, you know, we would be able to work with them on, you know, moving up into a different home. And then also we could help them, you know, I had some clients that, you know, they'd buy second homes and rental properties and whatnot. And I think what happened is that over time is that, you know, you kind of reach a point of, you know, as you get older, you know, what you really want to do in your life. And so for me personally, it was more 
I enjoyed, I enjoyed what I did for a long time. And it was very fulfilling, both income wise, you know, it provided a great lifestyle for our family. But it was also the industry had changed so much technology had changed the industry so much that, you know, it started to feel more just transaction based. Yeah. And, and so as it became more of that, I started to lose that kind of, you know, that relationships that I was having with people or with my clients. And then over time, I just decided, I said, you know, I think there's something else bigger that I can do that I felt that I wasn't able to offer people, you know, a benefit necessarily. Not that people don't need a mortgage, but it was just more, there's got to be something more that I can offer to people. So I think that, you know, going from helping people borrow money to the other side of helping people make money, you know, kind of flipping that around has been a huge thing for me. And it's been much more fulfilling personally. But from those experiences, you know, I've learned a ton. And I've learned that finances is a very personal thing. Yeah, and, uh, <laughs> and it goes, it weaves into all, you know, different aspects of people's lives. And so I kind of figured, well, instead of helping people, you know, I guess, get in debt with a mortgage, again, I kind of think of it now as it's a necessity. If you want to buy a home, you, you need to get a loan. But I also learned that it's a tool that you can use financing as a tool to get to the next step. And I love can, that perspective. Right. And instead of being, you know, a hindrance, you can use it to leverage yourself to build wealth. That's when I started so probably the last like seven or eight years, I started working more with clients who were buying investment properties. And we would work out strategies to, you know, how many properties or how can they leverage or how could we structure a loan for them that they would get the best benefit in their rental properties. Well, Sarah, you've got a lot of experience originating both investment loans, home loans for people. And I want to kind of ask you some, without getting too well into the details, what are some things that investors should know about qualifying and applying for investment loans? Maybe some common things to know and maybe some myths, if you will. You got anything, any insight you could share with the listeners around that? Yeah. So the lending world is very complicated. There's so many layers to it and there's, uh, <laughs> there's just so many changes. But it really comes down to the basics. The basics being, you know, that lenders are looking for uh, very simple, very basic things. They're looking at uh, credit, your capacity to pay, and then they're looking at the collateral. And I like that. credit, uh, capacity to pay, and collateral—kind of a three C's, if you will. Right. You know, the credit is kind of what we refer to as character. We do look at, you know, in mortgage origination, it's you know, has somebody when they apply have they made payments on time on their other obligations? And do they have enough history to show the lender that they are able to make payments on time and also not only just on their credit card or auto loans, but do they also make timely payments on their housing, like if they're renting? Sure. Okay. Yeah, makes sense. And, you know, we do look at, you know, if there's late payments or uh, previous derogatories, you know, we do look at that history. So again, having good credit, And a lot of that, I worked with lots of clients over the years in credit counseling and looking at their credit situation and figuring out, you know, what they need to do to get themselves ready and in a position so that a lender would be willing to give them a loan. And the capacity really is what we call their debt to income ratios. And that's really just, you know, how much of the mortgage, including not just the mortgage payment, but their property taxes, their homeowner's insurance any HOA dues, any other obligations on that will be due is, you know, how much of that payment can be paid out of their gross income. 
And there are some just rules of thumb. Generally, 40 to 45% is allowed for your housing payment, taxes, insurance, and any other debt obligations. So the lender does look at all of the obligations overall. And and generally, again, about 45% is kind of an industry rule um, that you know, no more that 45% of that can go towards these obligations. So when you're talking um, about other obligations there, Sarah, that includes things like possibly credit card bills, auto loans, student loans, but how granular does it get? Are you getting down to the, hey, you've got a $100 Verizon phone bill and you've got Netflix, like do those get factored into that debt to income or where is that level that the bank is no longer worried about? Yeah. So, you know, it's kind of funny because when I've looked at, I've looked at thousands of credit reports over the years and <laughs> sure that's exhilarating. There's, there's a lot on there. There's a lot, a lot of intricacies on there and there's, you'd be surprised on how many things are not reported. And there's a lot of things that are just not reported by law that would, that lender that doesn't have to be reported. And those are things like, you know, just like your normal, you know, like utility bills, your Verizon or, you know, your, you know, internet, cable, auto insurance, you know, that kind of stuff. So that doesn't necessarily get reported on a regular basis. However, if you do not pay and it goes into collection, that's where it's going to come up and it'll get reported and we'll see it as a derogatory item. Sure. And so there is, you know, anything that you're applying for credit at with a bank or a lending institution, whether that be for a home, a car, a credit card, anything that's extending you credit that you have to pay back will get reported on your credit report. And other things that you can live without, things like, again, cable, internet, phone, things like that. Those are kind of uh, peripheral expenses that, again, we don't look at. Okay. But again, if it goes into collection, then it'll pop in sure. on, on the credit report. Yeah. Yeah. I've actually come to you offline with a couple of questions. Somewhat of this similar topic, right, Sarah, around this mm-hmm. debt to income. Because as a real estate investor, you know, you might have several rental properties and you're going to go apply for a loan for the next one, right? Right. On your W-2, you know, when you're applying to that bank, showing your credit, your capacity to pay, your income, you know, sometimes real estate investors have the luxury of being able to depreciate their asset over the course of the year and maybe even showing a rental loss on their rental properties. But then you turn around the next year, go to the bank and apply for a loan. You're in a catch-22 here. So I've come to you before with that topic. So could you explain and expand upon that little conundrum of real estate investors? And I'm sure many people out there are in that same position. Sure. Yeah. So there's a few things that we, you know, lenders are going to look at if you're buying rental properties. And as a real estate investor, you know, it's always the worst to go get a loan. And then the, the lender tells you, oh, you don't qualify because you have all of these losses that you're reporting. Or you don't qualify because, again, the way that they're underwriting, they're not going to use and give you credit for the rental income that you're getting. And so lenders have their own rules, generally driven by Fannie and Freddie, as far as how they underwrite and how much income they're actually going to use. And so a couple kind of rules of thumb is, or just general tidbits is one is depreciation on assets are able to be added back into income. And so that is an underwriting rule of thumb that when we do a cash flow analysis or the underwriter does a cash flow analysis, they're able to take the depreciation back into the income. So if you have depreciation, that's a good thing. I mean, that's a good thing just from a tax standpoint, but that's also a good thing that a lender can use for underwriting. Now, if you still have losses, uh, 
you know, a lot of times in most cases, we are going to see losses. And again, the lender is going to, you know, do their own analysis, add back in the depreciation. And then at the bottom, they're going to come out with either a positive or negative number. And if they come out with a negative number, they're going to hit you for that as a debt payment. So that is going to go against your debt ratios. And that has caused problems. So there's a few things that people should know. One is if you have a rental property you just purchased, like within the last year, and you have, and maybe you reported it on your return, but it was for a partial year. So you only have maybe six or seven months of rental income established, you know, because you just are establishing the property. It's really not cash flowing 100% yet. And maybe there was some work you had to do on the property. And so you have some additional expenses showing. What you can do is ask the lender if they would accept a lease agreement, a fully executed lease agreement, instead of taking the tax return, the Schedule E on your tax return, doing it that way, but actually take the full lease agreement. And if they do it that way, they're able to take 75% of the rental income off of that. And in some cases, that will work because they're going to give you more income versus cash flowing it with all the losses. The other thing that, again, this is really better when you have a rental property you've purchased within the last year, you can use rental income and not even have it on your tax return as long as you've purchased it before the taxes are due for filing. So if you bought a property and you haven't filed your taxes yet, or it's still kind of in that time where your uh, filing's not due, again, just go to your lender and say, hey, so I have a lease agreement and see if they would, again, take the lease agreement. A lot of lenders will. That is a very acceptable method of underwriting. Yeah. For, this also applies cases. for people out there who are maybe buying a, let's call it a duplex, triplex, fourplex. They can go to the bank and in the application for purchasing that property, oftentimes you can get a credit for the existing rental income, right? Say you're going to go buy a duplex, live in one unit, rent out the other. Say that other unit is already rented. You can take a portion of the credit for that rental income as yours. Is that right? Absolutely. That's correct. So there's a few restrictions, but generally speaking, if you buy a two unit, if you're going to house hack, essentially, you can live in one unit, rent out the other unit, and you know you can count that as income. I mean, they will see that as income and they can apply that towards your debt to income ratios. Again, they're going to use that 75% rule. And the reason for the 75% rule is that they allow 25% vacancy because you have to assume that it's not going to be fully rented every day out of the year. So, and even if it is, the lenders are always going to use 25% vacancy in all of their calculations. But absolutely, that's actually really the beauty of, you know, living in one, renting out the other, or, you know, even if you didn't and you just bought a duplex and you rent out both, that's a great way to get some cash flow by, you know, getting multiple units. And the lenders, again, they do look at it as higher risk. You know, the fact that it's a rental property or investment property, it's a high risk for the lender. Now, on this side, it you know may look well. It's not high risk because it's not as high risk as we may not agree because the <laughs> uh, <yeah. laughs> because we have our tenants. You know we can manage the property, all of that. But again, you have to think of it the way that lenders see it, and they will see it as a higher risk. They do require more down payment, and typically there's higher rates or sometimes fees involved in those types of transactions. But a two to four unit, if you live in one, rent out the others. I think that's a great strategy. Yeah. And it's really important to understand how the bank analyzes and views your investment deal, how they underwrite it, what they're looking for, what criteria they're judging you against and judging the property against so that you have the better odds and are better equipped to apply and and be accepted for that loan. So 
I think understanding how some of these things work is really important from an investor's perspective. Now, you got a ton of that in your 17 plus years as a mortgage originator. And at some point, you decided, hey, I'm going to go out and do this thing on my own, right? So you said you started buying investment properties in North Carolina, Georgia, and your home state, Wisconsin, right? So tell mm -hmm. us about your journey from there and how you started to grow that portfolio and eventually transition to the other side of the desk. <laughs> well, so, you know, it was, we've always wanted to buy rental properties. And really, you know, after we discovered that California just wasn't going to work, and we scoured around California in our backyard you know, for rental properties, we looked at foreclosures and, you know, going, looking at probate sales and, you know, doing the calculations for how much we could get in rent and what the expenses would be and everything. And it's like, every time we did that, it just didn't make sense. And there was plenty of opportunities that we had to buy property. And it was funny thing. It's like, every time we did want to make an offer, we'd have 10 other investors buy it before us. <laughs> so it seemed like a uh, even though it's more expensive here, it's California, there's still a lot of deals to be made here. And, you know, again, we just, you know, to pay three, four hundred thousand in cash for an investment property. And, you know, there's investors that just, you know, they come in before you and eat them up. And the numbers just to me, it just, it's still, if I was to be a casual investor, that would be okay. You know, we could probably have maybe a rental property and be able to manage it. But, you know, I wanted to get really serious about investing and I wanted to have our money go farther. So when we discovered, you know, and being from Wisconsin, I know, you know, generally property values there, you know, are three times less. And so you can go in the Midwest and buy a property for a hundred thousand or less. Yeah, absolutely. And rent it out for a thousand dollars. So you got That's the 1% right. rule. <laughs> yeah. And so, so I was like, well, that's a way better way to leverage, you know, our down payment and our money and all that. So we started in our backyard, as far as my backyard stomping ground in Wisconsin. Mm -hmm. and. I went to the University of Wisconsin, Madison, and it's, you know, tons of student housing. So we ended up, our first property there was a duplex. And it basically, it's a full student housing duplex. There's, I think we have eight tenants in there now. And, you know, it's funny how on the university, you get all these students and they all cram into these houses. <laughs> it's great cash flow. <laughs> and so, and I knew that area really well. I lived there. That's where I started. And so once I got that done, I was like, you know, that wasn't so bad. I bought that sight unseen. I had a realtor, but I also had family there. And, you know, my family looked out for me and they did drive-bys and they, you know, helped me with the inspections and all of that. Sure, yeah. um, and then we have a great property manager who works specifically with students and they get their students from the university through all of the advertising and the marketing channels through the school. Mm -hmm. And so and then we we're like, okay, well, that wasn't too bad. So what's next? So then we kind of just took two years and we started just every, about every, about four months, we started to buy property and we kind of get one done and like, oh, that wasn't so bad. And then we started, the last two we did in Georgia, they were uh, rehab properties. So they were, you know, it's foreclosed. And then we started to, we got those rehabbed and then we got them rented out. And those were a great deal. And so then, you know, I was like, gosh, this model could work. You know, and then that's when I started doing the math on it's like, well, how, you know, if I bought, you know, let's say a, a five unit or a six unit or even a 10 unit and I went in and I rehabbed it, you know, my returns on that were so much better than if I just bought something that was already turnkey because yeah. I did look at turnkey properties for a while. And so that's how I, you know, going from Wisconsin and then to the two other states, it wasn't as scary as I thought it was going to be. And so, you know, once I got into it, this is not bad. And really the key to that was really having really good people on the ground. Just yeah. 
good property managers, you know, having somebody, you know, on the ground that was honest with you and told you the truth about the property, you know, having inspections that were done by people that were referred that were trustworthy and having, you know, somebody who could handle and project manage the rehab and then get it rented out. I mean, that was the key to success on those. So then I thought, well, if I can scale that and, you know, do that with 10, 20 units, why not? So then that's when money starts to come, become an issue. <laughs> right, right. So, maybe you can no longer qualify for a loan like that right, yourself, or maybe right. you don't have the down payment saved up. So right. then you start to think about creative ways to partner with people and you know pull together people's money called syndication, right? Which you and I are very familiar with. So that's kind of the path you've taken. So tell us a little bit about that angle and what you're doing there. Yeah. So once I learned about the whole this whole syndication process and understood and got more familiar with the, you know, compliant, the compliance part about it with SEC and, you know, being accredited versus non-accredited and sophisticated, you know, being a sophisticated investor versus not. I thought, wow, what a great way to help people do what I'm doing. And for me, you know, again, just my, our personal goals were to have a source of passive income and to be able to build wealth over time. And real estate really, you know, in my experience has been the biggest way to do it. I mean, you know, versus, and again, I understand there's all kinds of ways people invest, whether it's in businesses or, you know, in the stock market or in other things, but real estate over time, I've seen firsthand over the last 17 years has been the biggest catapult into wealth. And so I uh, partnered with Vinny Chopra, you know, we both admire and, you know, I thought, Hey, well, I can, I can raise some money. I have a enough network where there's a lot of people that ask me, you know, about investing or they want to buy a rental property. So it was really funny. So since last year, since I got into the syndication, I don't know, you know, it's funny how things work because I had clients that were calling me saying, Hey, Sarah, you know, I want to buy a rental property and I don't really know how to do it. Or I want to buy a rental property with my 401k because I'm not happy with my 401k (laughs) performance. And I was like, wow. I was like, you know, and I would get these calls and I was like, okay, well, first of all, you called at the right time. You called, you know, and I'm really honored that you called me and you thought about me for it. And so I really just had great opportunities to share with them how they could use their 401k and how they could self-direct it, do a self-directed 401k or do a self-directed IRA. Mm-hmm. Um, so I had a lot of opportunities that were coming to me just from my existing clients. And so I think that just reinforced for me that this was the direction that I needed to go and that this was a need that I was providing for my clients to help them build wealth and help them, you know, get into real estate and whether they were buying a property for their own or, you know, but a lot of them are really busy. They don't have time to, you know, go out and find and vet and inspect and make offers and, you know, do their research. And it's very time consuming. (laughs) (laughs) It's not quite passive like we were told, is it? Right, right, right. So there are some situations that, you know, my husband and I, we have actually helped some clients buy properties and get them set up, you know, so they're being the landlord. But a lot of people, they don't have the time to, especially now with everything, it's everything so busy, you know, to go out and and do all this work. So, you know, the syndication part of it really made sense to me because, you know, I could take that load off of them with my experience, especially with the financing part of it, because the financing part of it is a really a big part of uh, structuring the deal. And there's ways to leverage the financing to get better returns. 
And so I thought, well, if I do this full time, then I can actually help a lot more of my client base take advantage of this. So it just evolved from there. And now I actually have probably the last like six months, it's surprising how many people have, have discovered what I'm doing and have been asking me about it and how they can participate. And a lot of times people are surprised on that they can actually do it. That you know they think they don't have any cash. Well, they have a 401k or they had an, an IRA that's been sitting around for a while that they forget about. And you know they're like, oh, I didn't know I could do that. So I've been having a lot of these conversations and it's been, you know, being able to educate people on that has been very fulfilling. Yeah, that's awesome. So from a career as a mortgage originator, developing all those relationships over the years, helping people qualify for both their home loans and their investment loans. Then they see you make that transition and they see you out, you know, buying these investment properties, duplexes in Wisconsin, investment properties in Georgia, other, you know, starting to scale now and grow your portfolio that way. They reach out and say, Hey, Sarah, you know, I see what you're doing there. I'd be interested in kind of taking the same path. Could you help me out? You say, yeah, that's great. Here's what I know. Here's how I'm doing it. Here's how we could do it together. And that's allowed you to kind of grow and scale your portfolio to this goal that you mentioned earlier, which was to kind of generate passive income. That's why you got into this in the first place, right? But that's really probably, if I had to guess, not your end goal is to not you know, generate a big pile of money or to generate passive income, but rather that's a means to an end. So what does that kind of drive and what does that goal and what's your purpose behind all of this, Sarah? Yeah, that's a good question. And you know, that's a question that I pondered for a very long time, you know, going into, especially making a career change Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, going into the multifamily, especially the syndication part is, you know, you have to really think about, you know, why am I doing this? And I think, you know, when I started this whole thing was, you know, life is short. There's only so much time on the surf that you can, I think, make an impact because as I've gotten older, I've just realized, you know, how quickly time really goes by. So, and now that's actually one of the kind of my why is, you know, leaving a legacy and, as my company name, Legacy Equities LLC, you know, is what am I going to leave behind not only for my kids and maybe their kids, but also what can I leave and do while I am here with, you know, by building out a portfolio and what I can do with that. And really a couple of things was just having financial freedom was a big goal. And that's been really important for me. My husband and I, you know, we work really hard all of our lives and, you know, our parents were not that well off and he grew up poor and my family was not, you know, again, we were very, very middle class. And we've seen a lot of other families who struggle quite a bit. And so I think for me was one was, you know, how can I build a lifestyle for our family so that I can be more available for them? And because, you know, what was happening was that I was so involved in the mortgage business, basically trying to run that business and managing a team. And that was kind of, essentially kind of sucking the life out of me, I guess, as you could say, and really came down to, you know, what's really important. And what was really important was my family and my kids are teenagers now. I don't have that. I don't have a long time with them, just a few more years. And really was, you know, I really want to be available in there for my family and have, you know, be able to have a lifestyle so that I can be flexible, you know, that I can be there for them. And so that's kind of, that was really what spurred me to my big why and, you know, being able to somehow, you know, build a portfolio so we could have passive income and we could build up equity. And the other thing was just, you know, I felt a need to give back and I still do. And so I feel a very big need to give back into the community 
there's a lot of need in just our, in our backyard of yeah. people that need help. And so, you know, based on my background, I felt, you know, because seeing so many people struggle financially, you know, not being able to get to the next level that they want to get to, it gives me a sense of purpose so that I can somehow be able to give back to those people that are in need. Yeah, and, I, totally, um, I totally understand that. That's great. It, yeah. And I also have a heart for kids. So teenagers who struggle, I really have a heart for them. And, you know, there's a lot of kids that are in foster care. And so that's kind of, you know, there's just things that I'd like to do that and leave and feel like that I can give back to them. Yeah, that's awesome. That resonates with a lot of people out there, I'm sure. And that's the great thing about real estate investing is, you know, when you go into it with an abundance mindset and you do achieve success, there's so much room for you to be able to bring people along with you on your journey and share those successes with them, right? And then also, you know, be able to turn around and do good in your community and give back and, you know, donate your time and your money to causes that matter to you. So that's what it's really all about. You know, it's kind of easy to get wrapped up in I have a hundred doors, I have a thousand doors, or I have five duplexes or whatever that number is for you. But really, when you look back at, you know, really why you're doing this, then it kind of gives you that reason to get up every day and, you know, fly across the country and check out that mobile home, whatever it might be, right? So that's awesome. Well, Sarah, hey, it's been a lot of fun talking with you. Before we wrap up, we've got a lightning round we like to end with every one of our guests. Are you up for it? Absolutely. Awesome. Well, the first question in the lightning round is, what was your biggest hurdle getting started investing in real estate? And then what did you do to overcome that? So the biggest hurdle was just having a fear and kind of being frozen and not knowing what to do. And I think that, you know, the way that I overcame that was literally just by taking a lot of action Mm -hmm. and not being frozen by that fear. The other thing was being surrounding yourself with other people who were successful. So that was a big thing because if I could see that other people were succeeding, then that gave me the encouragement that I could also succeed. Yeah. Great. Well, Sarah, do you have a personal habit that contributes to your success? I think so. A personal habit that I do, it's really important to do daily devotionals for me. And just having kind of a few minutes of quiet time and being able to kind of be, you know, think about what you're grateful for. I think that typically I I like to do that in the morning. And that's, I would say that I would hope that would contribute to my success. But I think that that's what contributes to my ability to stay focused and be grounded that day. Yeah, I love that. That's great. Well, do you have an online resource you find valuable in your day to day? Yeah. So with the real estate investing, I love bigger pockets. I think there's a lot of fans out there for bigger pockets, but I definitely am a fan. And I really like YouTube. I think that you can find anything on YouTube. You really can. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's great. Bigger Pockets and YouTube. We probably don't have to link those in the show notes anyways, <laughs> in case you've never heard of them. <laughs> Sarah, what book would you recommend to the listeners and why? So a book that I really am enjoying right now, and I haven't quite finished it yet, but it's called Tax-Free Wealth by Tom Wheelwright. Yes. Uh, yeah. So I'm about halfway through, but wow, he's got some really phenomenal ideas. So my understanding is that he was a CPA for Robert Kiyosaki. And he talks about all through his book is using real estate as a tool by leveraging the tax law, Yeah, right. <laughs> essentially. And so, yeah, it's been really cool. So I think that's the book that I would probably recommend to everybody who's interested in real estate investing. Yeah, that's Tax-Free Wealth by Tom Wilwright, who we've had on the podcast way back early on in 2017, I believe. So probably due to get him back on. One of my favorite things he says is don't let the tax tell wag the dog. So I I really love a lot of the stuff he says in that book. So we'll link that book in the show notes if our audience members want to pick it up. Sarah, last question in the lightning round. If you were to go back and give advice to your 20-year-old self to get started investing in real estate, 
what would you tell 20-year-old Sarah? <laughs> I would say to get off the fence and invest. <laughs> yeah, okay. Because it, you have to invest early. If I was 20 years old, if somebody came to me and said, hey, Sarah, you know, you should be investing. This is how it works. You know, in 10, 20 years, you could have this. You know, I may not have known what they were talking about, but at least I would have been able to start thinking about it. And again, I could probably kick myself multiple times for not investing into things 20 years ago or 15 years ago. So that would be, have been my advice is to get off the fence, invest because time doesn't slow down. The best time to invest was yesterday. The second Mm -hmm. best time to invest is right now. So get out (laughs) there and take action. Sarah, hey, it's been a lot of fun talking with you, sharing your journey and seeing how you've grown from that mortgage originator to now actively investing in deals full-time, we forgot to mention, right? So you're now an active full-time real estate investor, constantly looking at deals, flying around the country, vetting large multifamily deals. So tell us a little bit more about what you're doing today. And if people want to reach out and connect with you, where's the best place for them to do that? Yeah, absolutely. So it's really, so I'm super excited right now. We're actually finishing up a deal in Florida. It's a 200 unit apartment in Melbourne, Florida. It's just south of Orlando. Actually, as of today, I am working on my last wire with my last investors to get that money into escrow. And we're planning on closing December 9th. So I'm super excited about that. That's a great deal. Uh, really great returns on that. And then I just got back a couple of days ago from Greenville, South Carolina. I was looking at a 28 unit mobile home park and we're considering we're in the negotiation phase right now on that deal. For people to reach me, the best way to reach me is on my website at www.passiveinvestmentpartners.com. That's great. So that's www.passiveinvestmentpartners.com. We'll link that in the resources. Sarah, hey, it's been so much fun having you on the podcast, sharing your journey, looking at how you started as a mortgage originator, and now on the other side of the desk out there as an active real estate investor. So such great, inspiring content you shared with us today. As we're wrapping up here, any parting piece of advice or last minute words you'd like to leave with the audience members? Yeah, absolutely. So Jacob, thank you so much for the opportunity for having me on your podcast and having all your viewers be able to take the tidbit of advice that we're giving. And I think the last thing is really just telling everybody to not be afraid to take action and not being afraid to make mistakes and learning from other people's mistakes who've already been there. And I would say that's probably the biggest thing to not hold yourself back and take the plunge and then find somebody who's already been there and you know find a mentor. So that would be my biggest piece that I'd like to leave with everyone. Mortgage originator turned real estate investor, Sarah Jung. Thanks so much for coming. All right, that wraps up this week's episode with our guest, Sarah Jung. Hey, I hope you got so much value from that conversation. If you like what you heard or want to learn more about any of those resources we mentioned, you can find those in the show notes. Well, hey, if you like what you heard today, please go over and leave a rating and review on whichever platform you're listening on. As always, for more information, resources, and to connect with me, you can do so at www.jacobayers.com. Till next week, engineer the lifestyle you want. You've been listening to the Real Estate Way to Wealth and Freedom podcast, providing you actionable content to build your real estate empire. Nothing on this show should be considered specific, personal, or professional advice. Please consult an appropriate tax, legal, real estate, financial, or business professional for personal advice. The opinions of guests are their own. Information is not guaranteed. 
All investment strategies have a potential for profit or loss. The host is operating on behalf of the Real Estate Way to Wealth and Freedom LLC exclusively.